To discuss this issue in more details, I have an excellent panel uh, today. I'd like to welcome uh, my colleagues, uh, uh, Excellencies, uh, Mr. Jeffrey Onyama, Minister of Foreign Affairs, Nigeria, Mr. Um, uh, Kwaku uh, Sarpong, Deputy Minister, Political and Economic, Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Regional Integration, Ghana, Mr. Damu Ravi, Secretary for Economic Relations at the Ministry of External Affairs, India, and Dr. Osta Kaitisi, Chief Officer of the Rwanda Governance Board. Welcome, everyone. Um, so basically, um, um, Africa has always been uh, um, um, pioneering in connecting the world in terms of since the ancient times, there has been the trade routes uh, going through Africa, whether spice trade routes between the Greek and Roman uh, civilizations and in India, or after that, uh, Africa also hosted the Suez Canal. But now, uh, with this new age, the digital age, uh, Africa uh, is playing a role. It is young, it is full of potential, and it's looking for partnerships with, for example, a dynamic uh, and, and prosperous Asia. So in this context, um, if I start with you, uh, Your Excellency, Mr. Onyama, from the Nigerian perspective, and it is a perspective of a country that is already enjoying close ties uh, with India. Can you share with us your thoughts on how India and Africa can work together to foster further connectivity and develop bilateral uh, commerce? Um, thank you very much indeed. Um, yes, um, first and foremost, um, the f Nigeria and India have had a long history of um, very close cooperation and people-to-people -people relations. Uh, we have uh, Indian families that have been in Nigeria for generations and generations. Uh, we have, you know, uh, Nigerians who have been studying uh, students uh, here and uh, the military establishment. So the two countries, we know ourselves very, very well. And, um, and of course, now in a more globalized uh, you know, uh, society, there's a lot more that uh, we can also do uh, together uh, through, uh, in, in many areas. So, for instance, um, India has a comparative advantage uh, in the health sector, for instance. Uh, we've seen that with the, um, the COVID um, uh, outbreak, uh, the role that India has played. Uh, of course, we know that uh, India has a very strong pharmaceutical uh, sector. So, the health field uh, is uh, an area that um, we can do a lot uh, with, uh, with India. And um, of course, uh, we, we've seen the um, uh, ICT uh, miracle that is uh, India, Bangalore, and the technology um, capacity uh, of, uh, of India. And uh, that's another area that uh, we can do uh, uh, cooperate uh, a lot. Um, Nigeria has a, a very young population and uh, a young, a, a, a youthful population that is also getting into uh, ICT and extremely uh, dynamic. And the partnership with uh, India there uh, could absolutely be a, a game changer uh, uh, for us. And um, in infrastructure uh, development also, uh, there's uh, a lot of cooperation that, um, that we can uh, get from that. You know, uh, three days ago, we went to visit some of the steel plants. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, India is one of the big, uh, you know, steel uh, producers uh, in the world, and um, and of course we want to industrialize. Uh, we have had challenges with developing our steel industry uh, in uh, in Nigeria, and um, clearly that's uh, another area uh, of um, you know whether we could do a lot uh, with uh, with India. We have a framework already, uh, although it's a continental framework, of um, India Africa uh, summits, and um, you know clearly we're looking at uh, developing uh, a more precise uh, a roadmap that responds to uh, the priorities and, uh, and needs uh, of our country. You know, we can also even look at uh, other areas such as, um, you know, the cultural industries. You know, um, of course you have Bollywood and we have Nollywood. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bollywood, I think, is the largest uh, film industry uh, in the world and uh, Nollywood actually uh, apparently is, uh, is uh, number two. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, at the cultural level also, there's um, a great deal that we can uh, we can do together, and I think um, so. In the field of education, you know, um, the education sector is uh, is another area that there's uh, great cooperation, and the defence uh, uh, sector. A lot of our um, officer corps uh, have been trained uh, in in India, mm-hmm. so we have that uh, uh, connection. So um, so really. You know, India is really at a stage uh, where it can um, transfer a lot of um, know-how to to Nigeria. Uh, We have very similar, you know, um, demography in in many ways, you know, population size. Well, India is much bigger, of course, uh, than Nigeria, but, you know, in Africa, Nigeria is the largest country. And... um, and, and so, yes, I think that the, the ingredients for a substantive partnership is very much there. Excellent. Thank you. Um, if I may follow up on that uh, and refer to a World Bank report uh, that was published in March on the global value chains post-COVID-19, and it flagged that several multinational corporations are considering, if not have taken steps already, uh, towards reshoring of the value chains. Now. You are talking about Nigeria's industrial base, and perhaps you have also ambitious uh, plans for the future for further manufacturing and industrialization. Uh, in your views, uh, and, and of course, in considering that Africa uh, was discussing for so long the entry into the global value chains, uh, would this uh, recent you know, developments in the world affect Nigeria in the sense of, uh, will it be considering implementing these future manufacturing plans in partnership with Asia, or will this trend of onshoring affect uh, the vision to come? Um, no, I think you know Asia will have a, a very important role. We want to also diversify, uh, not just um, our uh, production, but also our uh, partners. Mm-hmm. You know, um, of course, um, where. Um, you know, um, value chains uh, are, are concerned. Uh, it's always been sort of targeted towards uh, the Western countries, you know. Um, but but clearly, um, you know, Asia is uh, a lot more prominent um, in our engagement and our relations. And um, you know, notwithstanding the challenges, uh, global challenges of today, we are moving more and more, uh, increasing our partnership. With, uh, with with Asia, mm-hmm. and um, of course India is uh, a big part of that, 
uh, as is uh, China and you know one or two uh, other uh, countries so so we very much uh, notwithstanding whatever else is happening globally uh, intend to um, prioritize and, and and push on that thank you very much um, so uh, mr ravi if i may uh, turn to you and uh, in 2018 prime minister modi uh, had announced his 10 points for africa uh, vision and um, it included an, an Indian commitment uh, to guide the development partnership with Africa by the African development priorities, uh, and to also address the challenges of climate change in the process. And it is an issue that is very high on the, on the African agenda at the moment. Uh, can you share with us your view on how India can act with the African countries on development challenges and climate response as well as to revitalize the people-to-people -people connect it is already having uh, with Africa. Thank you very much, Umnaya, uh, <clears throat> uh, for that question. I think it's very important for us to understand the, the way we actually do the development assistance and the partnership with countries in Africa and around the world. Uh, as Prime Minister has uh, clearly mentioned, that is the recipient country which actually determines what it wants. And our development assistance is also geared to equip countries to freedom and to be able to make their own choices. That's the philosophy behind it. And of course, it fits into the overall context of our South-South cooperation that is geared to uh, creating uh, uh, mutually beneficial win-win partnerships. We have done in the last uh, two decades uh, several projects in Africa uh, of a variety of uh, things, uh, in trying, including the, the infrastructure. But before that, I think the capacity building is one of the uh, most important uh, development partnership initiatives of uh, India, uh, dating back to 1964, which is the flagship program of India as the ITEC, Indian Technology Economic Cooperation Program, mm -hmm. where several thousands of uh, of uh, youngsters, experts have been trained over a period of time, and that capacity building initiative has expanded. Mm -hmm. I think in the recent times, we are taking advantage of the digital tools and technologies. We have even expanded the Pan-Africa e-network, where uh, we were able to uh, educate, uh, give diplomas and graduation courses of thousands of uh, courses, which further uh, evolved itself into what is known as the Evidya Bharati scheme, where the university linkages got to be established. So there's a lot happening there. Um, and in terms of uh, the, 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 uh, the variety of programs that we have in agriculture and healthcare, uh, which are very, very important, including energy. We have a small, intensive, uh, high capacity um, uh, community development programs that is focused on energy because today the solar has become so important. Uh, we have what is known as also the Barefoot College, where the, the, the women were involved in the, in the setting up of the solar units uh, at the village level. These have been very, very successful models. Uh, and uh, we continue to do these programs quite extensively in Africa. Uh, in the days to come, I think we are looking at how do we scale it and how do we make it uh, more expansive uh, in the entire region. Thank you. And, um are you worried uh, um, at all by the fact that the war in Ukraine had had an impact also on India in terms of you know, the rise in the oil and commodity prices? 
uh, and the overall global slowdown, would that, do you think that might have an impact on the ambition, uh, ambitious plans that, uh, uh, that India has been having to invest and to, uh, uh, to work with Africa more closely? Well, at this point of time, uh, we are not seeing that kind of a, a restriction or a limitation on us uh, because uh, we have uh, programs already ongoing. Um, we have not yet uh, looking at uh, uh, any uh, uh, pause to, to those uh, programs. In fact, we have even enhanced uh, our uh, commitment to Africa. Uh, but the way we are looking at is how do we do it in a, in a way that is going to make more win-win uh, partnerships we want to create more institutions. Now, mm -hmm. capacity building should eventually evolve, evolve to institution setting in, in, in Africa, uh, including in medical uh, health care, because that's become a priority after uh, in, during the COVID time. Mm -hmm. uh, how do you set up, again, the nursing institutions there, create local capacities? Mm -hmm. uh, we're looking at agriculture institutions, because that's, again, you need to make uh, Africa self-reliant, be able to have its own experts, to deal with these challenges for the future. Um, and these linkages are very, very important. And I believe these are mutually beneficial, uh, even for our exports who are able to go there to set up this kind of institutions, um, train them. And in a generation later, you will see a, a lot of well-trained uh, Africans and Indians working together uh, to, to create these capacities to deal with challenges of the future. Food shortages, for example, you know, the, the kind of uh, food security is another area we should be looking at. Growing products that are very important for the continent as well as to be able to import it back to India. I think we have to have a strategic thinking. Mm -hmm. um, yes, Ukraine crisis has in a way awakened the need for uh, strengthening the alternate, alternative supply chains. Uh, and I believe that if Africa and India work together, we should be able to reinforce that idea. We should be able to develop that uh, value supply chains on African soil and to be able to expand it to, to India uh, and uh, create win-win situations. Now, job creation is very important because Africa is young and there are lots of youth that need those jobs. So that should be uh, is what we are thinking into the future. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Sarpong, I'll, I'll turn to you now. And Mr. Ravi just mentioned investing in agriculture. And the fact now that the latest numbers say uh, that African countries enjoy 60% uh, of a, a global share of 60% of arable land, uh, but, and yet uh, a vast you know, smaller share in actual agriculture production on the global level. Uh, so um, in, in the sense, now that the situation now and the war in Ukraine and the issues with the supply chain are setting perhaps a new agenda, new priorities for Africa, uh, how do you feel uh, uh, or, or what are your thoughts about Africa's uh, uh, investing and increasing its agricultural production uh, and perhaps in partnership with India uh, and, and, and other partners in, in Asia? Uh, uh, thank you. Um, I think uh, the uh, Russian-Ukraine war has brought to the fore that African countries need to set up. That there is always the potential that we rely too much on the outside world for, let's say, our food security issues. Um, sooner or later, uh, things might get out of control. So it's a wake-up call for Africa that we need to look inward, develop uh, very robust strategies, agri strategies, mm -hmm. to see how best we'll be able to uh, 
uh, increased productivity in our agricultural sector. Mm. In Africa, predominantly, majority of uh, our people are in the agri-industry. Mm -hmm. In Ghana, for example, you come in about 60% of the Ghanaian people are in agric, so mm -hmm. very dependent on that. Um, fortunately for us, we've had a very good relationship with India in the area of uh, agric. Mm -hmm. uh, India has been a source for the supply of uh, uh, agricultural equipment to Africa. Mm -hmm. We do a, a, a import a lot of agric machinery. Mm -hmm. to try to improve uh, productivity in, in Africa. Um, in Africa, our farming activities are purely being the rudimentary type, relying on manual labor. But we've come to the age where we need to mechanize. Mm -hmm. And Ghana, for example, is uh, having a program of India where we intend to mechanize our agri, mm -hmm. whereby we will be able to uh, improve productivity, uh, sustain food security, and therefore be able to withstand the shocks that uh, might be externally generated. Mm -hmm. And in, in, in that context, at least we'll be able to maintain our peace and security. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Um, now I, I come to you, uh, Dr. Kaitisi. And um, in several places in Africa, we see the cycle of conflict, climate change and displacements impacting the development and growth. Uh, added to the setback that is suffered by the African economies due to the COVID-19 recently. So in the face of these challenges, we are continue to see women uh, to bear the brunt uh, of the impact, the biggest impact of these shocks. Uh, can African women, in your perspective, recover from these consecutive uh, shocks? And can Africa in general contribute to a new economic order that is pioneered by women and strengthened, strengthened through diversity and inclusion. Well, thank you very much, um, moderator. I think starting from pioneered by women is probably something that could happen in the future. When you look at the leadership of Africa, the African Union is seen sitting, uh, the absence of women is very obvious. But that doesn't make it uh, the absence of making development as women. And I think Rwanda has had a story that has permitted the presence of women in leadership. Mm. And I think before we pioneer, we have to be intentionally inclusive. You know, any governance system that has elements of exclusiveness, whether it's women, whether it's youth, whether it's people with disability, is really at stake. And therefore, I should say that um, the number of women and the number of challenges that we have on the continent and globally requires us to be inclusive in all ways. Yes, Rwanda has had a position of women in many ways pioneering in different aspects of life. Our history has permitted us to understand the consequences of discrimination and therefore building a different Rwanda where accountability, inclusiveness and transparency were the key driving forces has given women the platform, and yes, women are able. But the problem is, and when they come into leadership and into business, they do as well, even better. Mm -hmm. The biggest challenge that remains is when we are exclusive, when we, I mean, when we are excluding, when these shocks come, the excluded feel the pain more. And therefore, I would, I would really like to mention that 
women can drive any form of uh, transformation, not just for Africa, for all of these uh, uh, regions that we are talking about, as long as we deal with the issues that exclude them. Mm -hmm. And those will be intentional in terms of governance, in terms of business, in terms of processes and projects. So, yes, women can drive transformation, but it will be the whole responsibility of leadership to be intentionally inclusive in, in, in approaching. Thank you very much. Uh, I have further questions about Rwanda, actually, and you mentioned uh, there is, I think, a lot of lessons learned there. Um, but uh, I turn back to you, sir, Mr. Onyama. And um, I'd like to ask you, uh, at present, the share of the intra-Africa exports as a percentage of Africa's total exports is only 17%. Now, with the Africa uh, trade, free trade uh, agreements that came into effect in January last year, the UN is currently estimating that it could boost the intra-Africa trade by 33%. So what are your views uh, of the potential emerging progress uh, should this agreement uh, be implemented uh, to its full capacity or as, as much as possible? And how do you see the role of third parties and key partners to Africa in this context, especially with the interest that we see uh, from the Indian side uh, into, uh, into uh, this agreement? Yeah, um, thank you very much. Yes, it, it, the AFCTA, that's the African Continental Free Trade Area, uh, you're absolutely right, uh, it could be a game changer. Um, one of the um, real drawbacks for African trade uh, is precisely uh, what you pointed out, the statistic, you know, about 17% of um, African export is intra-African, uh, uh, intra-African trade. And clearly, um, the AFCTA, uh, is um, hopefully going to completely change that and um, really deliver development for, for the continent. Uh, for instance, in fact, coming back to the issue of the gender mm -hmm. uh, uh, aspect, it's really something that uh, even empower women because, you know, uh, the informal sector uh, of Africa uh, is uh, predominated by, by women, actually. And um, so an AFCTA that removes, you know, import duties and, um, you know, another uh, tari uh, tariffs will now mean that more women are going to be able to be mainstreamed business-wise, you know, and, uh, and empower, um, you know, African uh, women uh, in, uh, in, in trade. And it's going to lead to so many, <clears throat> you know, uh, other uh, benefits, you know, with uh, and greater uh, productivity, markets, uh, it'll encourage manufacturing uh, by African countries and, um, you know, uh, to try and gain market access uh, in all those countries. And how is it going to impact on, um, you know, foreign partners like India? Uh, well, of course, you know, it's going to be the largest uh, free trade area uh, uh, in the world and um, it's just going to make doing business so much more um, uh, easy for, uh, for countries and, um, you know, accessing 54 uh, markets, you know, much more seamlessly uh, is obviously going to be a huge advantage. And, you know, India, for instance, would then be able uh, to have uh, economies of scale investing in one particular country or whatever or two or three and uh, being able to, you know, access uh, the other markets 
uh, without uh, going through all the uh, bottlenecks and uh, all the, um, you know, uh, uh, trade um, inhibiting uh, rules and regulations. So, um, so it really uh, has all the potential uh, to completely transform uh, the continent. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. And Mr. Ravi, I turn to you once again. Um, and I have a question, considering that 90% of the African trade is conducted by sea. Um, do you see a chance for revitalization of the 2017 Asia-Africa Growth Corridor Agreement uh, that was launched by India back then to connect uh, certain and select ports in Japan, uh, sorry, in India, to African ports with Japanese assistance. Uh, this initiative has been launched five years ago, but not a lot of progress has been made uh, until then. So do you, do you consider that this may be relaunched in a way, revisited in the, in the current context? Thank you very much. Uh, well, I think the time has come for us to look at uh, different ways of doing uh, business uh, activity or collaborations. Uh, in my view, there's a, a lot of logic and reason in being able to do trilateral cooperation projects. So um, you could look at the connectivity, you could look at uh, infrastructure projects, ports, airports, uh, doing uh, with third countries in Africa. You know, you could do partnership with, like you just said about Japan, and a number of countries. And in recent times, that interest is increasing. And we're keeping an open mind. Uh, we would like to explore that option as well. And uh, I think what is driving that kind of a desire to, and uh, very clearly, is we see a great opportunity in Africa in the days to come. Mm -hmm. uh, the minister has said that a free trade, Africa continent free trade agreement is immensely um, <clears throat> beneficial for many partners who wish to do uh, business or engage with Africa. The Agenda 2063 is another item, which is industrialization of Africa is has an immense potential. Uh, uh, keeping that in view, I think it's important for us to position uh, ourselves in doing these uh, activities with third countries, even bilaterally or trilaterally, uh, wherever there is a scope and opportunity, we can do it uh, better in that context. Uh, and uh, why not? And I see there is an immense scope in that. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Uh, Mr. Serpong, I turn to you once again. And um, I, I have a question about the development first approach. And that was set for the bilateral uh, relations between Africa and India uh, a few years back. The issue is that, that uh, the partnerships and the investments and uh, the bilateral commercial relations will be focused on the development first and the needs of the African uh, countries. Uh, for example, as a, as, from the perspective of a country like Ghana, with its own ambitious plans, uh, how do you feel that this approach, the development first approach, can be implemented in partnership with India. Uh, excuse me, can you repeat the last? Uh, how, how do you feel that this approach, the development first approach? The development? First. 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 Yes. Okay. Right. Which means to prioritize the development goals and then to plan the strategic and the economic partnership to, to serve it. Okay. Um, India and Ghana have, over the years, have very good relations. And India has been uh, a big brother 
Sudana in its development agenda. Um, I would say so far it's been good between Ghana and India. And when you come to Ghana, uh, Indian businessmen and entrepreneurs are all over the place. They found Ghana to be a very conducive country to do business and the government too has been very, very supportive. India, in the course of doing this business, has opened opportunities in financing a lot of projects in Ghana, which uh, a lot of Indian businessmen have taken advantage of and also um, have diversified into areas where Ghana think it will be beneficial mm -hmm. to the country when we have, let's say, external partners or external investors coming in. Mm -hmm. So to date, India, like I said, is being a big brother. We've recognized that relationship. It started all the way in the 60s mm -hmm. during the independence time from the colonials. Mm -hmm. And it has continued. And from the political angle, long aligned between the two leaders at that time, India has helped Ghana to transform into an economic uh, giant, at least within the uh, West Africa region. Mm -hmm. uh, when you talk of uh, Big Brother Nigeria, uh, the next country that uh, you fortunately talk about when it comes to industrial transformation will be Ghana. Mm -hmm. And India, I have to say and go on record, that India has stand tall with Ghana and assisted Ghana and continues to assist Ghana. It's been releasing large uh, swaths of uh, lines of credit Mm -hmm. for Ghana to go into all kinds of areas. And so um, it has been very positive between mm -hmm. Ghana and India, and I think we are on the on right track to get there. Right. Well, I have a question I will just uh, present to the panel and whoever would like to, to answer it. At the moment, the trade between Africa and India is still driven by a limited number of products, and they are most, imp most importantly uh, primary commodities uh, and natural resources. Uh, and now they are accounting for about 75% of the total uh, African exports to India. Now, Africa has ambitious plans, but uh, do we actually go into uh, uh, pursue these plans in the near future in the context of uh, the economic difficulties that we are facing at the moment and with the help of India? Is there a vision to pursue uh, a plan or a strategy to change this reality and, and, and bring more diversity into Africa's exports, uh, exports to India and to other partners as well? Well, um, as for the economic difficulties and challenges, it will always be there. Because even if we take the first world or the European countries, they do have economic challenges, just that it's relative. Now, the development of Africa at the end of the day is for the African leaders to be able to identify the areas that they want their economic development to be. And so far, I would say that India, we talk of India's uh, support has always been project-led. And for me, it's a good thing to be that, uh, let's say if your issue is to do with Agrec, and you need assistance to develop it. And India, so far, has always demonstrated that if you need a help in Agrec, we'll come in and deal with projects in there instead of actually releasing monies for you to go and maybe uh, Africans so far hasn't had uh, uh, we haven't been that good when the monies are just released and left to us to use it as we want. And I think India has learned something from it to make sure that when we are releasing the support or we are coming in to support you, we want projects that are important to you to be identified. 
and then we'll be able to come in and back you with whatever we can do to help you. Mm -hmm. So far, the relationship between Ghana has been on that trajectory. Mm -hmm. We identify the areas, they will come in with their financing, and then the projects are done, whether it's pharmaceutical, whether it's in agric, whether it's in the construction industry, whether it's in energy. Mm -hmm. In all these areas, Indians have come in, not just throwing in the money, mm -hmm. but actually making sure that this is targeted mm -hmm. at projects. And for me, I think it's one of the best ways to go. Thank you for tuning in to Policy Pod, the ORF podcast. Please subscribe to our channel for updates on upcoming episodes.